Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this is being recorded live on Skype September 5th, 2020. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. One gentleman who I actually wanted to have a conversation with for a few reasons, Mike O'Dorney. It's amazing that you call in today because I've been meaning to, we've had a, we've had a chat on Facebook which ended abruptly. And I don't think you ever, um, saw the rest of it. It was associated with Bernard Beck, uh, and getting you a membership to Silicon Valley Lines. In parallel yes. to this, I've also been tidying my podcasting room. I have a large priority mail box for you of a wide variety of British, Australian, Welsh. Um, I think there might even be some Canadian narrow gauge, just a wide variety of different magazines and books that I have that I wanted to pass on to you with the view that you would pass it on to other folks as well. And the final thing is I was talking with your friend Lionel Strang. And yes. I've had this thought in the back of my head. I have some, well, it's modern, but it's modeled for early war German, Second World War German Marklin. And I know you make uh -huh. Marklin modules. Right. And I was wondering if I could commission a couple of Marklin modules for you so I could run this, um, these locomotives and rolling stock in something. And it doesn't need to be particularly elaborate, but I know that you make Marklin modules and I thought this is probably and we were looking for an excuse to do some social distancing cohorting uh, from our last yes. discussion. And I thought, once I've dropped this uh, slab of magazines, the slab of paper on you, maybe we could talk in more civilized terms associated with what goes into building, I guess, European Markland-style modules. And, uh, you know, obviously any cost will be will be borne by me. I'm willing to pay for your time as well. Uh, but please, let's, let's start with the topics. Bernard Beck... Silicon Valley Lines. Did you end up getting a membership without corresponding with me? I did not, but I would expect things are kind of, um, in other words, like any club, decisions are done, you know, serially. In other words, mm -hmm. a president calls, a membership chairman calls, a somebody calls, a somebody. And given the nature of this environment, this quarantine, mm -hmm. Uh, what's what's my hurry? You know what I mean? Well, and, uh, my perspective you know. is that I'm already paying for three memberships through Silicon Valley Lines, yeah. and okay. I would really like you to have one of them. I think you'd get a lot out of it. It mainly, I, I think, would put would. you in, in the mailing list and these kind of things. So the outstanding thing was I, for whatever reason, I'm not sure why, I'm never really sure of these things, I was once friends with Bernard. I'm no longer friends with him for whatever reason. Could have been me, could have been him, could have been a variety of factors. You, however, are friends with him. And please get in yes, contact with uh, him via Facebook and include me in the communication and say okay. Tom has at least a couple of extra memberships uh, and he would really like me to be a part of Silicon Valley Lines, particularly because of all the remote stuff that they're working on currently, the cameras and just the remote operations. I think you'd get a lot out of it. So I um, certainly would. Please, I, I am on yeah. the same wavelength now. Um I think you've handed me about eight questions there, but um, let me see. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be in necessary order. So if you're happy with that, let's start yeah, that conversation I going. I will pursue that. Now, as far as Merklin modules go, mm. funny you should ask. <laughs> I make modules out of a lightweight plywood, and I don't know if you've ever heard of a company called Uline. Mm -hmm. Um they, they're an office supply company, and they are really more of a light industrial supply company. And they make a crate, which is made out of quarter-inch waterproof plywood 
to which they essentially staple or bond or kind of stake. I think of an American process called staking, where you take metal and you fold it, you jam it into a piece of wood, and it acts uh, like, you know those wiggle nails you can buy to join pieces of wood? Um, mm -hmm. they're, they're like a little, you know, wiggle, little about an inch long and a half inch deep with points on them, and you can put two boards side by side and pound the nail in and fasten. They're kind of a derivative of that. Well, anyway, they make these crates, and people throw them out, and they come in various sizes, and I have plans for a number of North American-style modules, which mm -hmm. are essentially 30, 30 inches by 48 inches. Mm -hmm. but, I, but I also have a large collection of Merklin um, in both narrow gauge and standard gauge, and I decided to make four one-meter-long modules because, mm. you know, basically, European train enthusiasts is metric. So I said so I'm going to make four one-meter-long modules in four corners and put them around my Christmas tree. Mm. So, um, so the the way that all of a sudden last weekend I uncovered a stash of um, a large number of very small modules mm. and uh, very small crates. In other words, a large <laughs> collection of small crates, which are absolutely perfect for these two feet by one meter modules. Mm. So. Uh, I, I normally stack my plywood up, and whatever sheet of plywood is on the top, that's the project I'm working on. <laughs> and uh, um, a very non, you know, uh, non, you know, um, logical way of doing things. But right now, right now, literally, I am making the legs for these European modules right now because these these uh, eight small two foot cube modules are like absolutely perfect for making the legs. Mm. And I said I can cut them up and, and do it. So, so I will not only make you a, a European module that you can either be um, ETE standard, which I think you would like, or I can do you a one-meter one, which makes, takes up a little less room. Uh, the standard one is a meter and a half. Oh, interesting. So I, interesting. So I can, I can make you a one-meter one. And there, wait, but wait, there's more. Ooh. Um, I have configured these modules such that the... The European track sits on a kind of a, um, I guess you call it an insert or a platform that's about 16 inches wide and about two inches thick mm. and one meter long. Mm. And you flip it over. And if you flip it over, you have North American track. And if you flip it back, you now have European track. Mm. So it will, it will work with two different clubs. And, um, so I can make something like that for you where you could have a, um, you know, if you're going to do European trains, you can flip it over. But if you just really want to sit there and have like a, you know, kind of like an Engel look on steroids, you know, a, mm. a small switching layout. In other words, you would have probably five or six tracks, plenty of turnouts, maybe a few extensions. In other words, you would tend to want to put a couple of extensions on some of the tracks just to get yourself a switch lead. You know what I mean? Where mm -hmm. you, you, you have a turnout and there's room for one car. But no loco. You say, wait a minute, I need I need another six inches here. Mm. And, uh, you can do things like that. Um, so I will I will conjure something up. And uh, given my attitude is this: given is that you have done so much for this hobby, I will gladly give this to you free as a payback for the for the. Um, you don't realize what a dimension you bring to this hobby by you and Lionel. And all these podcasters do. Um, even um, uh, even the, uh, the 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 Lionel people, the um, 
uh, Notch Six, mm-hmm. the uh, mm-hmm. Lionel, Lionel, yes, um, yes, and and they 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 are my favorite people because they understand the demographic pipeline of getting your Lionel set for Christmas and then following that pipeline down into into uh, fine scale modeling. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know they are they are the um, that's where you get on the bus, and mm-hmm. uh, so I'm very happy for having them around. And uh, so, but I'll gladly, you know, make you one. If, if you want to pay for my time, you can, you know, you know, buy me, buy me, you know, tacos therapy. <laughs> once we get our DC, once we get DCC lunch working or, you know, you can even I, buy me a. I'm sure I could get them delivered to your place. I mean, in well, the days of DoorDash, my view is that I can certainly feed you through this. But no, look, I, I appeared on uh, the AML network over the week. It's going yeah. to be controversial. I think. Quite frankly, I may not have as many friends in the hobby once it's actually aired. But it was interesting, actually, because Lionel, Lionel and I, we did, we never really had a falling out. We had an issue with Patreon a while back, a long while ago, when Lionel first started doing Patreon. I had problems with Patreon, uh, which I, I need not narrate here. But, you know, so I, and from then on, uh, I hadn't really talked to Lionel for a long period of time. And then he got me on the AML thing. And look, Bruce Wilson is someone who, actually appeared on this podcast earlier than Lionel did. And yeah. uh, I really enjoyed talking with Bruce. He and I were, were chatting about First World War movies, which strangely he hadn't seen. But anyway, I was recommending some to him. And, uh, yeah, I think this the nature of this hobby is just so, you know, it's, it's about people. It's about humans. It's about getting together, having a good chat. And it was just wonderful well, to have the opportunity I- to, to do that once again with Lionel. Well, exactly. And it's it's easy... The, the, here's the challenge. The best people in this hobby for me are the ones who have uh, a lot of wisdom and all, a lot of knowledge and a lot of views and a lot of opinions. Mm. And they may not agree with me. So I don't hate them for that. I don't need any yes men. I need people that make me grow. Mm. And, uh, and if you, and it is possible with a lot of the stuff with us on the ragged edge of technology, <laughs> um, it's easy to be on the ragged edge of people where mm. you, um, like, for example, you don't hear about bubble memories anymore. Mm. And, uh, um, and, um, I was on a, I was on a, a podcast, which has turned into a chat with the fourth division of the Pacific Northwest region. Mm. And the fourth, the fourth division is like the 82nd airborne and mm-hmm. they were the crackerjack people. <laughs> and, um, I'm asking these quote, stupid questions. That everybody, you know, I'm the guy who asks the questions in the class and people say, I'm glad you asked that question because I thought I'd be a dumb, dumb question. Mm-hmm. And I'm basically talking about LCC mm-hmm. and, um, the, um, both the, the person, the technical person giving the podcast and the club member who was essentially the MC who was fielding the chats. And in other words, if you're, if you're doing a Zoom call, you can't really look at the chat window. Mm-hmm. You have to have someone else, you know, you need a co-pilot. Mm-hmm. Or a flight engineer or something like that. So and they were they were doing it right, and 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 these people are just absolutely wonderful. And uh, so I I work from a principle is that it as model railroaders we can rub against each other pretty easily. Mm-hmm. So so if anybody you know how it is is you're sitting there watching a TV show and you realize you need to take something to work. Like I got to take that calculus book or that geometry book to work because I know I have to look up this algorithm. You immediately wait for the commercial, and at the commercial, you get up, go get the book, and put it in your car, hmm. so you don't forget. Then you get to work the next day, and you're sitting there at 10 in the morning, and say, oh, yeah, I was supposed to bring that book to work, but it's in my car, and you go get it. Well, I, I, 
I have this principle, like if I have one of these particularly good podcasts, which I seem to have a lot of, mm-hmm. I will I will email the people a day later and thank them for doing mm-hmm. it. And, uh, and uh, as someone who group. as someone who creates podcasts, I have to commend anyone that does that. I recently I did a podcast maybe three or four years ago. Uh, and I've received two bits of correspondence, one from a gentleman who's recovering from cancer therapy. And just even, you know, four years after recording a podcast, getting an email from someone. Amazing. It's always great as a podcaster to get those emails. Sorry, Mike. Continue. So, so I, so I, so I did that. And another guy, um, there is Eric Smith that does the OPSIG. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something, there's some kind of water these guys in the OPSIG drink. Um, you have, um, Brian Henderson one of the classiest people in the world does the opposite. I mean, these people are just absolutely, um, that's Byron, absolutely. Byron Henderson. Yes. Byron Henderson um, is a gentleman somebody- who has refused to appear on model rail radio for the entire length of the recording. Because I once said that I thought digital track design, CAD track design was useful and a great way of actually exploring building a layout. This gentleman has been, what's the, is it White Rhino? What's the term? (laughs) Anyway, for whatever reason, Byron, if you're listening to this, or if anyone knows Byron and is a direct contact, please let us bury this hatchet. Let Byron Henderson appear on Model Rail Radio. Uh, It seems to be the most curious reason to have ditched a podcast for uh, more than 12 years or whatever. But yeah, Byron Henderson, and he's local to us as well, right? He lives somewhere in the vicinity. He is. He is a freaking great guy. Uh, Mark Smith, guy back in Indianapolis, hosts the um, tomorrow is going to be hosting a couple layout tours for the the OPSIG, the operating group. I mean, another great guy. I mean, uh, you um, you cherish these people. They are um, that's what the hobby is all about. You hit the nail on the head. It's the people. Without and, question. Um, Without question. You you have um, the the challenge is that um, we had this board meeting, an MRA board meeting, not board meeting, a, a pod, a panel, a round table about two weeks ago. And oh my goodness. Five, and one man got up and said, we're good at recruiting. We're lousy at retention. And I said, you hit the nail on the head. How do we keep our people? Mm. The second thing he, he said, or somebody said, the hobby has become a lot of niches. And I'm thinking, okay, I have my niche. He says, narrow gauge, um, you know, electronics, modules. Uh, and I said, hey, I'm part of the niches. I'm a module guy. I'm a niche mm. guy. But how do I reach out to non-module people? And uh, um, so... Um, um, I think these things know. are paradoxes, which are, I mean, not necessarily the case. I mean, certainly, if if people were easily offended outside their niches, model rail radio as a concept wouldn't work. I think the nature right. of model railroading is, in fact, the antithesis of niches. It's a fact that people are intellectually curious in a variety of different directions, and it doesn't have to be specifically what they're working on. They're interested in hearing about, you know, model railroaders in the UK modeling something completely different, but still having elements of the hobby that they can come to. The, the n- nature of the niches, or what was it called, the balkanization of the hobby, was something that Tony Costa came out with 2012, I think 2013. I know because Terry Terrence interviewed him uh, for Model Rail Radio, and he talked about it then. And I was like, "What? Well, there's not an issue associated. Like it's it's an to me, it strikes me as a kind of artificial issue. The nature that there are so many different scales, so many different 
you know, prototypes, so many different eras, so many different... that. That's an aside. The fact is that everyone can come together and have a shared kind of collective interest in the hobby as modelling, as a visual aesthetic. For the operating folk, obviously, you know, something more uh, cerebral, perhaps. And all these right. folk can kind of come together and have a good conversation. Mike, we have on the one and only David Karkowski, a gentleman who I love chatting with. Can you please stay on the call and we can return to this for a, a broader discussion? Um, it's been a pleasure catching up. and We need to talk details associated with Markland uh, as well, because I have a number of questions from that. But I just wanted to get to David Karkowski in case he's time limited. Sounds good. I will catch. We will. We will connect. We will not stay disconnected. Definitely. I'll talk to you soon, Mike. Take care. I would like to welcome on a gentleman who I miss talking to with the frequency that I once did, David Karkowski. What does the new normal mean for you? Obviously, Train Fest is happening in a virtual sense. Are you participating in, in the virtual Train Fest 2020? What's going on with the hobby and you currently? Uh, well, ever since uh, like uh, beginning of March, I've just pretty much stayed home mm -hmm. and have only gone out of the house to go grocery shopping. Very good. Uh, I, uh, I'm obviously at 73 in an age group where you have to be cautious and... Uh, I am being that. Certainly. I figure I, I can uh, stay away from everything for as long as I need to, and then once either that uh, 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 better treatments come out or a uh, vaccine is created that works, and et cetera, et cetera, then you can get back to doing everything else. But if Certainly. you take some silly chances at this point, you have an option of not being here at all. So. Amen. That's not an option I intend to take. So. Very good. Very good. <clears throat> well, I'm glad to hear that because uh, in terms of train fest, have you been following what's been going on with that? And have you considered participating, being a clinician or participating in the virtual train fest? Uh, I was just, I was w listening to one of your episodes where you were talking with uh, Mike Slater and I had heard that there was not going to be anything, and then the last one I was listening to, there was, seemed to be some discussion about some sort of a virtual type of a get-together. I haven't been contacted in any way about it, so and haven't really heard anything more about it. So mm. I, I would uh, maybe entertain doing something on a virtual aspect. That would be kind of interesting. Certainly. And if you were to I do a virtual I, clinic, what, what kind of options do you think you would consider? Huh. Well, I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure, Tom. Uh, maybe how to use a gimbal on your iPhone. <laughs> Very good. But in terms of structures and things like that, I mean, you had you had gotten to the point where you had a layout. You've obviously built every structure known to to humanity. What what kind of things are you doing in the hobby currently that interest you and you might want to do a clinic on? Ah, uh, well, I have been. Um, working on uh, my operating session on my railroad um, and using JMRI to do that, that might be something to to pursue as a discussion. Mm. I'm certainly not an expert at it. It's, uh, it's robust. It has lots of subtleties to it, and I have only started to scratch the surface. But it certainly is a uh, interesting way to generate your... Uh, 
manufacturing demand for operating sessions. It mm. seems to work pretty nicely. Would you consider doing um, a virtual operating session where you put up web cameras and enabled? I mean, your your layout is actually the perfect size. It's not a huge layout, so you would only need maybe one or two cameras at various points, and then potentially through JMRI, people could virtually operate on your layout. That would be very challenging because, remember, I am modeling dead rail. Mm -hmm. I have every turnout is a uh, manually uh, <laughs> actuated device. I have no electronic wiring on my railroad whatsoever, so it would oh, be... Oh, interesting. So uh, would you use JMRI specifically for the signaling, or what do you use it no, for? No, just, just for generating... Uh, uh, industrial demand and switch lists oh, and manifest for my freight. That's all ah, I use it for. Interesting. So you're using it. Interesting. So you're using it to generate that aspect as opposed to any controlled. Yes, it would be a very interesting. It'd be a very busy operating session for you. <laughs> for one person. <laughs> People would be commanding you virtually to uh, to uh, throw those turnouts. Yes, interesting. Yeah, interesting. It, it would. It would not be. It has not been designed for anything like that. It has certainly been designed to support mm, three or four operators, mm. but it but it's all it's all as uh, non-electronic as I could possibly make it. Wonderful, wonderful. So, in terms of the switch list that JMRI provides for you, is it just? I mean, how much of it is based on actual motion? How much of it is random? I mean, I could see potentially there being a lot of kind of stored memory of where things are over time. Can you describe that process a little bit? Mm. Well, I can, I can summarize, but it's, it is, uh, for being shared free software, it is incredibly robust and, uh, and it is complicated. It doesn't, mm. it doesn't look like it when you start reading the instructions, but, there are so many subtle subtleties to it that can be implemented. Uh, it gets quite complicated. Well, let's see where to start. I guess the best way to look at it would be, you know, on my own personal layout. Uh, since it's an industrial switching layout, I have 64 spots for freight cars on my railroad. Hmm. Um, the uh, program knows where all of the freight equipment is located on my railroad, whether it's spotted at an industrial siding in uh, like Delray Yard, um, if it's on one of my storage shelves or one of my uh, shelves that represent off-railroad locations. So mm. it has track of where every piece of equipment is that's in one of those spots. And it knows... Um, Obviously, which cars are loaded, which are empty. Uh, I use what uh, JMRI calls custom loads. So I designate uh, a specific type of an empty car, which is called an MT mm. in my scenario. And then each industry generates uh, specific uh, products. And they demand specific types of empty cars to be delivered to support their production. Um, for example, the Kelsey Hayes Wheelworks uh, ships 
wheels to General Motors plants, uh, Oldsmobile, Buick, uh, Pontiac, amongst others. And I have the uh, destinations represented virtually on some shelves. And the destinations, like Oldsmobile, will receive wheels, and they will create an empty uh, parts car. And that empty parts car will then is a is a uh, car that Kelsey Hayes can demand is an empty auto parts car. I have not gone in any way into the detail of like signing specific auto parts cars to a specific service. That certainly could be done, but I wanted to be kind of keep it a little bit on a higher level. Um, when that empty car becomes available, the program will then see that Kelsey Hayes needs an empty auto parts car, and it will direct that empty car to it. Now, it'll get routed however it needs to to get to that location. And it may then be reloaded with, let's say, uh, Pontiac wheels, or it could be Buick wheels, and be sent off via a different route to one of those plants. Uh, for example, the Grand Truck Western handles the Buick plants in Flint, and New York Central will handle uh, the plants in Lansing, Michigan. So different connecting railroads uh, that I have interchange with will get the cars directed to them specifically, and then they'll be forwarded on to their destination. Mm. So it it uh, and I'm not using uh, anything that's they have uh, scheduling options. There's lots of other detail that you can get into that I haven't even explored. Mm. But at this point, uh, what I have seems to be it, it, it has really uh, excellent flow of traffic. Mm. Um, all of my industries get serviced appropriately, not all at once. They're staggered. Um, at this point, I have approximately... 130 freight cars mm. on the railroad servicing the industries. Um, I have a staging yard, which is the boat yard. Mm -hmm. And then I have a classification yard, uh, which is a transfer table, as well as is the uh, boat yard. And then the uh, West Detroit uh, area is another transfer table. Mm which uh, allows me to uh, run trains onto it. The transfer table is, is four feet long, and it's uh, long enough to hold a train that represents a transfer run, Wonderful. which is what the whole premise of this railroad is, is, is transfer runs between railroad yards, uh, movement of cars to industries, and then picking up cars at industries, either empties or loads, and distributing them back to various uh, uh, railroads that I interchange with. So uh, it's it provides lots of lots of opportunities to switch. Um, mm. And for example, I took out a the uh, West Detroit switch job uh, a while back, and I think I left the yard with uh, eight cars. Mm. And I had 
quite a bit of work to do, pickups and uh, uh, some moves at West Detroit. And it took me actual two hours of time mm. to go through the entire process of getting all the cars distributed and back to the yard. Mm. So that was that was a long one. And each one of my scenario segments, I break the day down into four, six-hour segments, are run on a three-to-one clock. So that was actually oh. two actual hours. And that would have been the whole six-hour scenario, yes. which is yes. really, 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 really perfect. And during that time, you would have transfer trains passing through West Detroit. And, uh, of course, you have to clear up for them because it's all yard limits operation. Certainly, certainly. Uh, in 2012, I spent a week in East Lansing, but also walked quite a bit through that period of time and actually walked through Lansing as well. And, obviously, this is not on your layout, but it is a destination on your layout. And I'm fascinated by the auto industry that was once in Lansing, Michigan. What was there? Um, I, uh, I know there were several GM plants, but I'm not yeah. exactly sure if it was Chevy. And yeah, it's a fascinating Smokey place. And, I'm not sure if you've ever been to... I mean, I'm, no, no. it's mm -hmm. fascinating because it's, it is... So as you travel through Ohio and these areas in the U.S., you see the factories. Like, you see them as kind of skeletal remains. Lansing, Michigan, they just have the cement blocks. They don't have the factories anymore. So you walk uh, five, six city blocks on these long cement things. Now, some of them they've turned into car parks. Some of them, the corners they've made into car dealerships. But you see, basically, it's not even a skeleton. It's like a, a ghost, basically, of where these industries once were. And the transition between East Lansing to Lansing... And really, as you step out of Michigan State University, the vectors of poverty are just really very strange. I mean, I've, I've not been to Flint. I've been to various parts of Detroit. Uh, but Lansing always struck me as just really quite extreme because once literally crossed the street, you know, vandalized vacant abandoned blocks. Across the street, you're in Michigan State University with, you know, multi, multi-million dollar contracts and what have you and the traveling it by foot i found absolutely fascinating because you can walk through the kind of academic areas that are still maintained through uh, msu but then as as i said you go through these just block after block after block of still perfect cement you know whatever in terms of the foundation not a not a scrap of metal left Obviously, completely <laughs> taken. And just a sense that there was once a thriving industry here that now is just not there. And I remember walking for quite some time just along this long street, which was, as I say, these, these long kind of... And you just get a sense of what whatever it was there once must have been really amazing, but now no longer. You say Buick and you say they used to have factories there? I think Buick was up in Flint. Okay. And uh, uh, Chevy, I think, was in Lansing. Okay. Not, I'm not positive. The area that I'm modeling uh, specifically in Detroit is very much as you described. Um, there's just nothing, nothing at all there anymore mm. from the time from the time period of 1953 that I'm modeling. 
Uh, you go on to uh, Google Google Earth and whatnot, and you walk around on the streets, and it's just, as you described, these massive open areas that are just concrete foundations that are, or the uh, – <laughs> The the uh, the floor of the factory and the factory is just entirely gone and it's it's just like that everywhere. I was doing some just last week. I was looking around the area where the uh, Turnstead factory used to be, which is what I'm modeling, mm-hmm. and uh, plop myself down there and just there's nothing. Yes. <laughs> it would have been fun to have found at least one building to to yeah. model. But I wonder. Just, I wonder what the the rationale is obviously why but you go through Ohio and you actually still see these steel structures kind of it's in the skeletal form. But obviously, I guess these were still functioning enterprises, right? These are still companies. And I guess they, they have to make every, every penny they can out of the scrap metal. Whereas maybe what was going on in Ohio, you know, literally someone turned the lights out and then it was just over. So yeah, it's just interesting to see the, the distinctions. But as you note, the, yeah, it kind of makes you want. To, I mean, I I remember walking because it was quite it was quite humid and not you know not particularly pleasant walking weather, but you did get this kind of chilling sense that this used to be you know tens, hundreds, maybe even thousands of people's jobs, and certainly the, the hinterlands around that area, you know, you get the sense that this once supported major industry, but just major industry no more, according to Lawrence Segering, potentially Oldsmobile was uh, primarily in, in Lansing. So, yes, interesting stuff, interesting stuff. David, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. I'm glad that you're staying safe. I think that's... You, you were echoing a number of listeners and participants of Model Rail Radio currently, even, dare I say it, the host uh, of Model Rail Radio as well. I think this uh, new normal, for those of us that can stay in and, and shelter, although work is continuing for me, is, yeah, just a phenomenon consider potentially i i know mike slater listens to these recordings periodically the fact that he hasn't explicitly come and asked you uh to do a clinic yet might just be a nature of the overwhelming thing yeah mike i will bother you at some future recording um to see but in terms of i mean i guess we're no closer to a potential clinic than you could do but this jmri stuff sounds very interesting so maybe you could do a clinic on that potentially david uh, possible. I'm also working on some Sylvan uh, period-appropriate automobiles right now on my workbench. That's, that's kind of a fun thing. I I know that uh, one to 87 mm. vehicles is a whole hobby niche all unto itself. Certainly. But uh, these are these are fun, very straightforward little resin kits to put together, and and uh, they they just work out pretty neat. And I have a fairly extensive collection of Vallejo paints, so mm. I'm able to go on and uh, online and find color charts for the period for the cars, and then come up with reasonable matches using my paint selection to what they were actually painted with. So it's been, that's been a lot of fun, a whole lot of experimentation and mm. exploration. Color matching with Vallejo. Another little niche. Yes. It's another little niche. <laughs> Certainly. I'm not sure if you've heard the conversations associated with making these tiny vehicles radio controlled, but uh, that is yeah, also... Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> that's also a curious I'm niche. Just, I'm, just, I'm just willing to make background scenery. That's good enough for very me. Very <laughs> good. Very good. Yeah. 
But no, colour matching with Vallejo, I think, is a, a topic in the hobby that needs to be discussed. I think that's a wonderful topic, particularly as Vallejo kind of makes, you know, it's taken so long. I've been doing this podcast for far too long. And when I started this podcast, I couldn't believe that Vallejo paints weren't used universally. But I guess you need Floquel and other paint companies to go out of business before Vallejo maybe even registers in some cases. But I'm, it's wonderful that you're doing that, actually, David. Uh, it's fun. It's scenery. I need scenery for my railroad. And this, this sets the time period, which is the most important thing. Very good. Very good. Well, a pleasure catching up as always, David. Stay safe. Uh, I'll I'll have a conversation with Mike Slater and see if we can get a, a virtual clinic from you because I think I'm at, at planning on attending virtual train fest and utilizing it to uh, enjoy as much as possible of uh, a show that I've always wanted to attend but have just never had the uh, the time unfortunately but the uh, virtual train fest sounds like a, a train fest that I can attend so I'll have a word with Mike Slater let's see what happens here David yeah. I uh, I also have uh, participated in some of the virtual RPM meets that they've had this summer. Ah, and how have you found those? It was very good, very good. You know, they do it with Zoom, and the presenter uh, does his presentation, and and uh, you know, it's it's easy to watch on a computer or your or your <laughs> smartphone or whatever, and and uh, very it's entertaining. I I found them to be uh, very nice to be able to to. Uh, attend something that I've always enjoyed attending when uh, uh, Sunshine Models used to have their uh, Naperville show all the time. Mm. That was always just great fun. Wonderful. And uh, all, the, all the information that gets interchanged about how prototypes work and, and, and whatnot. So that's all pretty cool. Very cool. Very cool. I, I will hang on and listen, and, uh, and you can continue on. <laughs> Pleasure telling you as always, David. Take care. Okay, very good. Bye, Tom. I would like to welcome on a gentleman who has, has become a regular through the COVID times. Lawrence Egering, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. I'm not sure if you heard the intro, but uh, we had on Mike O'Donnell initially, and uh, I was uh, chatting with... Uh, you might have heard of this gentleman, a gentleman by the name of Lionel Strang. Not very well known in the hobby, very uh, muted, reserved gentleman very in the hobby. understated, yeah. Understated, very understated. Um, anyway, I was chatting with him over the week, and it made me realise that I have some old, well, I don't know, it's not old, but I have some Marklin locomotives that I've been looking to, to run, and Mike O'Dorney builds Marklin modules, and I thought, this is an opportunity for, and Mike has also been pestering me about this, like, let's find some way where we could shout at each other across a car park, maybe throw tacos at one another or something. So I thought <laughs> this is the kind of project where we could do social distancing, but also do a hostage exchange as part of that. In terms of, I mean, have you, you work with a wide variety of folk in Florida. Do, do you, do you cross paths with Markland models occasionally? Actually, yes. Um, one of my, it was a small customer. I did a little bit of work. For uh, standard HO, he mm. has both layouts, but he had he had an, a um, six by eight mm. Marklin uh, layout in the center, and um, you know it was kind of neat running that stuff because it did run very well. Mm. And um, that third rail pickup down the center of the track was probably the most unique thing I've ever seen, you know, because forevermore it looked just like little spikes in the rails. You know mm. what I mean? And, yeah, uh, certainly. 
but it did run real well. And uh, it, that's I think I've seen some of the show. Uh, a fellow may have had a layout at one of the local shows also. So Interesting. Interesting. So in terms of the new normal, what has been going on with the hobby with you recently? Have you done anything of, of interest, anything of note, or is it just much more of the same? Um, much more of the same. I, um, I find myself with more R&D time, mm. which is nice. Um, for instance, I, uh, I think it was two weeks ago I did a Raspberry Pi setup uh, to, to run JMRI on it without using one of the pre-made images. And um, it took, you know, a little bit of work to do that because it's been, you know, 25 years since I worked with Unix. Mm. And uh, so... Hasn't changed that much. <laughs> it, Linux has not changed at all. But it, but unfortunately, I was digging through gray matter that hadn't been used in a long time. Alas. So, but, uh, yeah, it that's, that's the new normal for me is I get a little more R&D time. Um, and a little more bench time. I'm, I've probably got still 25 decoders to put in out in the shop. Mm. So, so in terms of these decoders, is is it a relatively fixed rate, or do you get basically customers each month that kind of add 10 new decoder installs to your pile, so to speak, out of the 25? You know, it, it, a couple of months ago, I was down to two decoders left that were just more or less favors for some okay. friends. Interesting. And... Um, fellow came up to me and said i want to i want you to do a whole bunch of work and gave me a tub full of engines yeah and and a large check and gosh. he said when that money runs out i'll give you more gosh how could you complain i guess you could still <laughs> complain <laughs> I, I i'm not I'm not in any way i've got a um a rather large um android ambulance project it has 18 leds on it that'll be flashing and doing different things gosh so that's um that's on the bench and hopefully we'll clear out this week. I was hoping it was going to be done last week, but I ran into a, a little setback. So uh, as they happen, as they yeah. happen. So interesting, interesting. In terms of the ambulance project, this sounds really fascinating. Is this all? Is this an Arduino-driven ambulance, which which yeah. has interesting? Yeah. And is it yeah, a controlled um, device on your layout? Can you? Plug it into JMRI and make it a control device through that? Um, yes. Uh, I do not have a direct... Um, I don't have a direct... In I, I have all the circuitry to build it, every component and, and everything, to build a DCC interface that would turn the Arduino on and off. Yes. Okay. Um, it's purely laziness. Um, I, I am a <laughs> dealer for... Uh, one of the big LCC guys, mm -hmm. but before that, he he um, he has a product called the Train Man, okay. and the Train Man does all of that interfacing for me. So all I have to do is go in and change a little dialog box and say, when you receive this switch command, turn this on, mm. and and then it goes over and turns the Arduino on. So that you know, I've chosen. To, to make it addressable by that because it has uh, 32 inputs and outputs. Gosh. And it's $22. Gosh. And it takes me 12 seconds to turn an interface on. Mm. You know, if I have to sit down and build an, a um, DCC direct interface for the Arduino, probably take a half hour to an hour. Mm. How much more can I get done? So I, I've <laughs> chosen to go that way. Interesting. So obviously, okay. So... The LCC componentry is 
faster, easier, simpler than sure. doing it through DCC. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, no, uh, the, the I'm not using his LCC product. I'm using his DCC product. His DCC product. Uh, okay. okay. I, I, I'm a dealer for him, and I can get the LCC product, but I'm not ready to convert my layout yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I just simply because of time constraint. You know, Let's maybe. Let's talk about the new years. normal. Let's talk about the new normal. Um, okay. You get through the existing decoder installs. You've got a nice slab of time. What What are the barriers in time terms for the conversion? Once I get the work off my bench and out of the shop, none. Mm. I, I, I will have no valid excuse. <laughs> <laughs> you can always find an excuse, valid or invalid. But I guess I guess what I'm saying is how exciting... This is something that we've talked about, particularly with folks like Dave Brezza. Dave Brezza was really excited about LCC early on mm-hmm. and started making the conversions accordingly. For you, are you interested to get into it just to like understand it? Or are you, you know, in that kind of mid range where when you have the time, when all the planets align, then you'll convert over to LCC? No, it, I'm very interested in, and I've done a lot of reading on it and a lot mm. of research. You know, that's the engineer in me. Certainly. And, and so having that. You know, I, I, I want to see it. I, I understand there's a movement in the NMRA to drop LCC as the um, de facto standard. So mm. I don't know what's going to happen with that. It could go one either way. Yeah, you know, I mentioned I, that to me when we were chatting, Associated. And- the one thing that I've always stated about this hobby, and in, in, in the past 10 years, we're on a rocket sled on rails with the things you can do with your layout electronically, mm. you know. Um, the, we're so much farther along. I, I was on a um, uh, a WebEx call with a friend yesterday, and uh, I was demoing the um, Raspberry Pi 4 I have here and how it's connected across the network to my layout, and, that the, and I was sharing my screen so that they could see how the dispatcher would run the layout from my office, which is some 35 feet away, maybe 40, yeah. you know, and inside of the house, the layout's in the garage. And, uh, you know, and there's a 42-inch monitor here. I mean, and you could be watching a train video in the corner and never even slow down. Now, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, think of it this way, 25 years ago, the World Wide Web was brand new. Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean to reach out to commercially. It had been around a lot longer, but uh, people starting to use the World Wide Web, 95 was kind of the front end of it, you know? Mm. Well, uh, that's what Al Gore celebrates, so yes. Well, he he invented the Internet. Yes. I'm I'm real proud of him there. The commercial Internet, yes. Yeah. (laughs) LCC, (laughs) my perspective is it would be be foolhardy for the NMRA to discount the efforts that have been put in it may not have been adopted at the speed that was required. As you've noted with your own personal experience, it's one of those things where you have to do it at some stage. But the lack of adoption, what, what's your feeling with regards to LCC being dropped by the NMRA? I, I think it would be silly to. Uh, a lot of people invested a lot of time in it. Uh, it doesn't have to remain the NMRA standard if they want to keep DCC as the NMRA standard. Mm. They can make LCC an optional standard. You know what I mean? And, uh, or maybe just a continuing a follow on. I mean, that. why does it, why is the competition between these two things? Well, they're just different protocols. Exactly. You know, exactly. And, 
and they should have, in all honesty, um, LCC should have been merged in with the DCC as an as an alternative or some way that the two could parallel exist mm. and then eventually transition over. Mm. You know, uh, there's there's always the political aspect of that stuff, Tom, as you well know. Certainly, so. but I'm. It's always seemed to me that LCC did something completely different than DCC. And in the realm of automation, in the realm of signaling, in the realm of a variety of different aspects of the hobby, although LCC now also has control elements too, don't get me wrong. But it just struck me that this was a needed protocol. And the way it happened, the organic way that it became adopted by the NMRA was a kind of counterexample to a lot of the naysayers of the NMRA because it kind of, you know, the, the folks associated with OpenLCB were really, really smart about how they technically approached the NMRA. And having seen this in, what, 12 years ago, the director's meeting, which is in the Model Rail radio feed, you can go back and listen to the protocol and specification that the NMRA was working with at that time, associated with CAN bus. Different world, completely different world. And, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, well, I think that's where it got perverted. I think if yeah. they would have stayed with OpenLCB and not changed the name, you know what I mean, and the modified protocols, mm. they could have kept a lot of this. Mm. You know what I mean? Without, Interesting. Interesting. Uh, and, I, you know, the... the I'm trying to say this, and it may come off as offensive, and anybody that knows me knows that I'm the guy that doesn't care what kind of trains you run, Mm. okay? But there are guys, for instance, there are guys that swear by NCE. It's the best that there is. There's guys that swear by Digitrax. It's Mm -hmm. the best there is. There are guys that swear by MRC. It's the best there is, okay? It's what you're used to and what you're comfortable with, and I've, I have installed all three. Mm. Okay. The only one I have not installed, but I've actually fixed is, um, uh, the one out of Texas. Easy DCC. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'll tell you openly, if you want to buy it, go ahead. I'm, I wasn't impressed. It was kind of cumbersome. Maybe because I was used to NCE, Digitrex and MRC, mm. you know, so that may have been me, you know, but if, I tell guys this. All right. All your friends that you go hang out with that run trains, what do they run? Well, they run NCE. Then you should have NCE. Mm. Why? You know, I like Digitrex. You, yes. But (laughs) if you've got NCE, you've got a wealth of knowledge and guys that have seen all the weird stuff coming down the pike sitting right there and they can bring their throttles over to your house and Mm. run your train, Mm. run their train. And a lot of guys say, you know what? That's a pretty good idea. And mm. so. Jim it, Gifford uses Roco. And oh, I, yeah, I'd forgotten about that one. Yeah. yeah. And I, out of all the layouts I've ever seen, I don't necessarily want to use the term idiot proof here, but certainly when I picked up a controller, it ran perfectly and was incredibly like, you didn't need to type anything or anything. <laughs> Just picked up the controller. It was there. Um, so yeah, I think the, there are European, uh, aspects of the thing as well. But yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, there's, there's what, right now I can, if, I think Model Railroader was it in December? I think it was in December. Mm. They had a listing of the DCC systems out there and there's like 14 of them. Mm. 
you know, well, uh, do I leave out ESU? Do I leave out this one? Do I leave out that <laughs> yeah. one? There, I'm just saying, use what's in your area because you have a wealth of knowledge there. Certainly. If you absolutely hate it and you can't handle it, agreed. Use what you want then, but understand the limitations that you have. You know, you, I, I have a, um, very dear friend. He's 96 years old. He's got macular degeneration. Mm. And he can, he has a whole lot of trouble seeing. He has a beautiful HO layout. In fact, if you look on my YouTube channel, you'll see videos of it. Mm. And, uh, he didn't want to go to O scale because of the size of the room. He wouldn't be able to do much in there, you know? And he has workarounds. Like for me, I don't even, when I'm putting a boxcar on an HO track, I don't even look anymore. I, my fingers, by the feel of it, <laughs> I know when it's on the track. Yes, you know, it's, yes. you've done it 10,000 times. It becomes automatic. It's the same with him. But he was having trouble. He had a Digitrack system. Hmm. He tried an NCE. He couldn't see it any more than he could the Digitracks. And uh, this was 10 years ago, probably. Uh, JMRI was out, and engine driver was out there and mm. uh, as his Wii throttle. Mm -hmm. He says, well, I have an iPad. Do you think we can run Wii throttle on it? I said, absolutely. So we bought a PR4. He has the means, so he bought, an, at that time, a moderately expensive PC just to run the railroad. Mm. And uh, I had automated all of his turnouts. They're all servo-controlled, but I also did routes. So the, he knows if he throws switch seven, it's going to this track. Mm -hmm. Every turnout's going to line up for his train to go there. Mm -hmm. He he was running it along on his iPad, right? And no problem. Apple decides to update the software, and all of a sudden, the function buttons are so small, he can't see mm -hmm. them. So I reached out to the developer <laughs> of the uh, we throttle app and i said mm. the buttons used to be bigger and what happened and i thought maybe one of his updates did it and um wonderful fellow in two hours on the phone all of a sudden i've got an experimental app pushed to me and hank's running trains again and the buttons are even bigger and easier for him to see so yes all this out here admittedly 15 years ago, 96 year old, you can't see mm. somebody else is going to run your trains and you're going to sit around there. Mm. Now, Hank is actively involved. And if he's having trouble seeing, he knows you turn the camera on, on the iPad, walk over there and he's got a nice big magnifier. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, wow. I mean, that technology growth is, is limited only by your imagination today, Tom. And I, I think just, Age is not a limit here as well. The beauty of this story is here is a gentleman, as you say, in his 90s, who is using the technology. And hats off to you. I mean, obviously, you're the bad influence friend here as well. It's also encouraging him. But, yeah, using the technology, using every aspect of the technology to keep his trains running. Such an inspiring story, Lawrence. Such he still builds story. models. He still builds <laughs> models. And... And he's the one, you think I'm the bad influence. He calls me up one day and he says, you got to come over here tomorrow. I said, mm. okay. I'm trying to figure out why. I'm thinking, oh, the, the railroad's broken or something, you know. And uh, he says, no, come over. I got to show you something. So I walk in and he's he's sitting at his desk. He says, check this out. He's got an HO boxcar in front of him and this little device sitting on the table. And he has like me, I have a 42-inch monitor. He has a 51, so mm. he can see everything on the PC. 
He has a USB microscope with a variable a variable magnification up to 600x. Mm-hmm. And, and so he's got this box car with this USB microscope, and he says, look at that. I can put grab irons on. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, 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 I think that's the using the gifts that we have today to their maximum. I oh, mean, man. it's, you know, if you've got it and, and it can be used for something dis- despite its original intention yeah. to make your life better. Jump on it and grab a hold of life with both hands and move on. You know? Amen. Amen. It's inspirational like, stuff. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> well, Lawrence, thank you so much for calling in today. That is just such the right kind of energy that I want to be putting out in these recordings. Thank you for allowing me to to capture it and put it out. A pleasure chatting with you as always. You know how we do things. Stay on the line if anything comes up. I'm going to be talking with Mike O'Dorney later, I think, so please stick around for that, if nothing more. I will. I would like to welcome on a gentleman who I always have fun chatting with. Bay Area, video, model railroading, John Abatacola. Are you, are you at the end yet of your pre-COVID stash of interviews? Are you entering the COVID period? What, what's going on with your, with your YouTube? What's going on with videos? What's going on with the hobby and you currently? <laughs> you know, it's funny you should ask that question, uh, Tom, because I just recently did run out of, because I think I told you last time when mm-hmm. we talked that I had a, a cash or a stash of videos that were scheduled up through something like the middle of July yes. or something like that. And yeah, I, I did run out, uh, but luckily the technology gods have smiled on us and we have Zoom and we have other ways to interview and talk to people far mm. away. And uh, just as a matter of fact, uh, today my my uh, monthly podcast came out and I had a great talk with a gentleman in Wyoming named Mike Panel who does... Mm historic preservation of uh, rail cars and stuff from his he has a missile silo that he does his work (laughs) does that sound you can't make this stuff up oh my goodness (laughs) i've been there and it's you know when they told me when i was told that it was a missile silo i was thinking it would be this big 80 foot hole in the ground and i'm thinking to myself well how in the world does somebody work on rail equipment in a a hole like that Mm. well it turned out it's in what they call a horizontal coffin style atlas missile silo where the roof would open up and the the missile would tip up you know to where thunderbird style right it's thunderbird style where they swing open thunderbirds go swing open yes yes so that's the kind of silo and i've been there and to think that this guy has internet he's 20 miles east of of cheyenne wyoming and then really in the middle of nowhere and he had a wi-fi connection that we were able to do a video interview on so so it's amazing what we're able to do and uh that's one of the things that's really saving me uh is being able to to use the technology to still talk to people and still have relevant conversations with people for the channel uh i mean we talked a little bit about concerns of quality and i think certainly best practices is something that i've really been pushing on particularly with nmrax and all these these video things, the best practices for audio, best practices for video, for lighting. I think the hobby has moved. I mean, we have talked briefly 
in the past three months, but the past three months for the hobby and video and audio and multiple cameras and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's difficult to imagine when we first talked, I think March this year, February this year, how much the hobby has moved associated with quality. I mean, is that your experience or do you still think we're all, we're all still way behind where we need to be? Well, I think that people are learning, you know, for example, one of my pet peeves, especially uh, with video is lighting. Mm. Now, audio has to be good too, obviously, because that's half your, half your presentation, right? But if it's not lit well, especially when you're dealing with limited bandwidth on an upload stream or something like that, it, you know, you could be modeling something. And uh, recently I was talking to Seth, you know, Seth Newman. We go on hikes every Friday or almost every Friday. And we were talking about uh, watching a show that somebody was doing some weathering. And I suspect it was probably very good weathering. But because their bandwidth was so poor on the upstream, it looked like a brown potato or something similar to a brown potato, but it was all pixels and you couldn't see what they were doing. And I've mused that, you know, perhaps if it was lit better, the camera and the stream and everything could have handled it better. So I, I do think that people are catching on, you know, because if you do a stream like that and then you because, you know, I think most people would want to go back to watch what they presented just to yeah. see how good, how it turned out. And you see the brown potato that we were talking about. You're kind of thinking, well, what can I do better? Because I don't want that to be my presentation, you know. So I, I do think that people are getting the idea and out of necessity, obviously. And I think that's a good thing. So I think that answers the question. Certainly, certainly. And yeah, I think the, the critical feedback part and the self-criticism part is really, I think, what is driving this. Because certainly if I look at the... And it's actually really difficult to get early NMRX footage because they haven't put a lot of the early stuff up that kind of starts when things are starting to tick along. But even then, I think people have gone back and the presenters that have presented on multiple occasions, I heard from uh, Neil Erickson, for example. I mean, these are people that watch their the videos, learn from the experience, and up their game, uh, which yes. I think is really fascinating. Yes. I think that the, if you watch in a progression of from the earliest to the latest, they mm. do get better. They do get better, and I think that is good. There are infrastructure issues, which is one of the things where I think the NMRX has kind of moved to a point where really they need infrastructure investment. And this is something that the NMRA, unfortunately, is not moving with initially, although hopefully Gordy will, Gordy will make some waves with this. In terms of live streaming, in terms of these kind of technologies, what would you, as a, as a technologist and a videographer, like to have to get a good live streaming setup going. This is something that has been discussed particularly with the kind of the various conventions that are now becoming virtualized. What should people think about when they think about live streaming? What kind of equipment and infrastructure do you think is necessary? Well, the first thing is if you're going to try to do a high definition up upstream or, you know, uh, a stream, mm-hmm. you have to have probably a robust five megabits per second i think would be the the lowest i'd want to go mm. in order to do a full 1080 and it has to be very robust i mean you have to have an ethernet plugged in you can't be trying to do it you know over wi-fi because inevitably something happens with your your wi-fi and it gets choppy or it gets grainy i think that 
if you have good lights. And that could be a number of things. I mean, you could just flood a room with light and that should generally should work because uh, I think the cameras are good enough, especially if you're using one of these phone cameras like mm-hmm. on an iPhone or something like that. Mm-hmm. Usually if you just flood the room with light, it's good enough. So I do think that that helps with the encoding so that the camera understands what it's looking at and it doesn't have to guess. You know, if there's a dark spot somewhere, mm-hmm. like the brown potato example, <laughs> the, the, the camera doesn't know what it's looking at. So it just it turns it into a bunch of graininess yes. and you can't you know, you can't see what that is. Well, if it's really well lit, it takes away some of that guesswork on the camera's part. Does that make any sense? Certainly. Yeah, certainly. So the other thing I'm pretty sort of, I don't know, sensitive to is a lot of times people are using their phone and either they're quiet, just naturally they're quiet people so they don't speak up or the phone, the microphone on the camera's not that good, or it's turned away or something, mm. but you can't hear them. Ah, uh, yes. And it, if you can't hear someone, there's no point to watching it, because then you're guessing whatever they're saying, or yeah. you have to turn it way up, and then the next person comes on and blows your ears off. So Yeah, audio is an interesting one, because that's certainly some of the presenters in NRAX, I've looked at their presentations, and as you say, I've had to ramp up the audio. And that is something that I think potentially with particular kinds of setups they could almost produce in the live stream. They could actually either use leveling or manipulating to, I mean, the quality wouldn't be brilliant, but at least get the amplification um, to the right levels. You mentioned lighting. I've bought a, a series of uh, LED disc lights, um, which are also part of my new normal now for utilizing these things. Multiple cameras as well as another trick that i've been playing i while i'm not a model railroader i do have a, a a podcast called my rules are better which is about role playing and wargaming and these kind of things and i've been playing a game through that where i've been video linking in and using multiple cameras quite successfully so yes i think it's interesting to see what the new normal means you mentioned seth newman gentleman who i mm-hmm. have all the time in the world for how's seth going through the through the new normal I see him, like I said, about once a week. We'll go on our hike, usually on Fridays, and he's mm. doing great. Terrific. Uh, he's He walks every day, and he hikes here on Fridays, or we'll go to where he is, or we'll meet someplace, and we have great conversations. And, boy, that guy's a machine. Let me tell you, he gets going. He's got those little hiking poles, and he's off <laughs> to the races. Do you think he will virtualize his layout? Because we've discussed operating layouts that would be really cool to operate remotely. And I always think of his layout. Now... True, you'd need a few cameras on his layout. It wouldn't be covered by just a couple. You'd probably need at least eight cameras, thinking about the major, you know, sites on his layout. Maybe, maybe a couple of top-down cameras as well, uh, particularly on some of those longer yards. But can you imagine Seth virtualizing his layout? I know he's big on, um, what is it, RFID and these kind of things. Yeah. But what, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, you know, we haven't spoken about that directly, and I don't think he has any plans to. Mm. Uh, if anybody could, he's someone who could because he's pretty technical and Certainly. technological, right? Uh, but I, I think you know about this. Uh, I actually, you know, I said I've been doing everything virtually, and or I kind of implied that. That's not entirely true. I have gone out to chase trains, and I have gone to Niles Canyon to do some stuff there. And the other place that I've gone was a week ago, yesterday, or actually a week ago today, 
I went to Silicon Valley Lines where oh, they yes. are right where they are doing that. Certainly. And right, so I talked with Bernard there and we're working on a video that I would like to put out late this month as a model railroading one oh one episode that talks all about what they've done at Silicon Valley Lines in order to be able to do remote operations. Certainly. So that should be interesting because you know, I'm not really a big techie guy, so I don't I don't fully understand, you know, VPN and all this stuff that he was talking about, but I get the gist of how they're doing it mm. and it makes a lot of sense. What I find fascinating is that they're having to deal with so much more than just how to control the trains. Certainly. They're having they're having to deal with how somebody 40 or 50 miles away can see what the train is doing. And they've created camera cars, Certainly. you know, a locomotive with a camera in the nose. There's a flat car that just has a, a Raspberry Pi camera on it. And the interesting thing I thought challenge that they ran into is getting the, the four streams that are coming off of the, the, the trains that they're sending video to their operators out you know, out into the world on, they have to get those four streams, combine them on site. And then because their upload is pretty limited at, at their uh, club there, it has to be combined before it goes out. So, because otherwise if you had four streams and you tried to stream all of them simultaneously, yeah, yeah, it it just is a huge bandwidth hog. So, so it was a, just a really, it's really fascinating what they're able to do. And, the other cool thing is they're not just operating remotely, but our mutual friend Murph, was, who's, well, he's been out of his house because of the fire, but he was dispatching from his house up in the Santa Cruz Mountains yes. some 30 or 40 miles away. I mean, that's pretty cool. Look, they are leading the charge with regards to this technology, and I think anything that you can do to popularize it, anything you could do to present it to a broader audience... More power to you, John, because I think they... I mean, there are a number of folks that are doing this kind of stuff. Yeah. They... We talk a little bit about the technology powerhouses that we have in this part of the world. You're bringing Apple and Google and a variety of other like technology powerhouses together. You're getting some of the best and the brightest engineers together to work on this stuff. I'm really thoroughly... I mean, Dave Falkenberg, just as a person, (laughs) there's not a fly on him technically. Bernard, as a person, not a fly on him, technically. Murph, clearly, not a fly. These are people that are brilliant technologists that are putting their energies into an aspect of the hobby. What I'd like to see is kind of drag-and-drop solutions, where literally you buy, you know, three or four components, sent to your house, plug them together. Anyone in the hobby could start doing what they're doing, and I think that's the vision that they have. They're not elitist with regards to this thing. They'd like to see more layouts to it. Yeah, you know, and they really aren't. What I think is really cool is how smart these guys are. Mm. And but but, you know, they don't they don't go around thinking they're smart or better than anybody. And just for example, my sort of theme with the video that I'm trying to make to show what SVL is doing. And I talked to Bernard about this before you know, before we shot, cause he actually goes hiking, you know, Dave went, as a matter of fact, everybody you just talked about was on our hike yesterday. Dave, mm. Bernard and Seth were, were all there. But I, I talked to Bernard, you know, maybe a month ago about this on one of our hikes and said, you know, what I'd like to do is show what you guys are doing, but in a way so that, cause I, I think of 
you know, other clubs around the country probably have at least one of those guys that's kind of tech techie like that mm-hmm. who could look at that and say, oh, we could do that here and here's how to do it. And he, I, so I asked him ahead of time, I said, is this stuff like super advanced or is it simple enough that that guy in another club someplace else could take it and go, we'll apply this or apply as much of it as we can to our situation and be able to do the same thing. Mm. And he said, yeah, this stuff is pretty basic stuff. Mm. So it's just a matter of being smart enough to come up with the way to put it all together. You see what I'm saying? Mm. So I find it very impressive. And I, I mean, I love going, hanging around these guys because they're so smart. And I mm. just hope someday it might rub off on me a little bit. Well, <laughs> I think the, I mean, the nature of what they're describing is just plug and play. It was interesting. We had on uh, Dave Reese who does uh, Blue Rail Trains. And he said that the reason that this technology cannot be grouped together is because of patents. But if you buy the off-the-shelf components and put them together yourself, you're circumventing, not necessarily circumventing the patents, but no one is going to sue individuals that are putting this technology together. And I think that's fascinating that this is a component of the hobby, which is going to have to be plug-and-play, amateur, you know, unless some company is willing to or maybe some company has the patents and is willing to produce it as, as a, a standalone option. But yeah, I'm really excited. I, I think, you know, Dave Barraza, for example, on the East Coast, I think might adopt this technology. I'd like to see more individuals and more clubs adopt this technology because, as you say, I don't think it's actually technically that different. The brilliance is that they know the various components. The actual sticking together yeah. of the components isn't technically difficult. So I'm really looking forward to seeing your video when it comes out. Uh, and my hope is that they will motivate a variety of folks in the hobby just buying these various components, putting them together. The bandwidth thing is very, very real. And I need to point that out. I run uh, four, used to run five high-definition security cameras that uploaded to the cloud. In fact, Model Rail Radio Show 100, I had two of those cameras public to do the downstairs and the upstairs. It is really very interesting, the bandwidth problems associated with streaming a layout. I mean, we're talking about Seth Newman's layout, for example. Eight cameras, the bandwidth on that is 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 limiting, right? So there are interesting technology still pain points here. But if you've yeah. got if you've got a camera on a car cruising around a layout, it's a relatively small layout. You shouldn't really have these problems. As you get larger, then this becomes a really fascinating problem. But uh, we could talk about this for hours, John. We do have a couple (laughs) of new folks that have called in. Well, new folks, Clark Cooney. Uh, But we do have a couple of folks that have called in. I do want to have an opportunity to chat with them. It's been a pleasure as always. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm really looking forward to seeing these videos come out. Um, And, uh, yeah, you're exposing the right people in the hobby. Thanks, Tom. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. to welcome on a gentleman who dropped off the call last time we we didn't have an opportunity to speak clark cooning how are you going in the hobby what's going on in your part of the world well what's your model railroading update well uh the summer obviously is winding down like for most people in uh, the northern hemisphere and where i live it's winding down pretty fast right so i don't think i have many more fishing days to go so I actually went in the train room today and went, oh, my God, what a mess. Mm. Anyway, uh, 
we've been I've been kind of busy with the club. Um, we took a drastic decision with our model railroad club. Uh, some of the listeners may remember that last January mm. we had a roof collapse in yes. the building that we used uh, to house our club. And over the summer, they basically tore down the building, and we did uh, recover all our modules and all our equipment. Uh, they were pretty good at letting us in, so we had all this equipment, and we looked for space. We looked for rental space. Everybody thinks they're in New York City for rental space. <laughs> uh, instead of, you know, the boondoggles of northern Ontario. And uh, so we kind of came to the conclusion that we were in trouble as far as um, having a permanent location. Mm. And we, through the city and other people, uh, and with the COVID situation, most governments aren't looking to hand out grants or anything for new buildings. Yes. Um, so we came to the conclusion that we won't have a permanent site. So we Gosh. basically wrapped up the the club and sold off all the assets to its own members and uh, any any funds were divided between the paid members and we're going to close the bank account this week and so the formal part of the club the the actual club that holds any money will end but We've already got uh, two or three clinic uh, meetings scheduled for October. Mm. We have uh, two or three of the guys are going to host some operation at their home. Um, so we're just going to do a more of a round-robin uh, group. Mm. And uh, since we only have about 10 serious guys, we have a couple of guys who are on the fringe, but they really don't come out much. Uh, we should be able to do it at a round rob- in a round-robin type of uh, setting. Until such time that we can see a, a new location. Mm. Well, that must have been an incredibly hard decision to make, but obviously the right decision in the current times, really. Well, yeah, you have to make a business decision. Um, you know, you, you you can't make this kind of decision with your heart because you'd never make it. Mm. Um, so you had we just made a business decision, and everybody was, you know, everybody's heart was sad, but everybody knew in uh, in their minds that it was the right thing to do and uh, we had no no problems with the club members they all agreed that it's uh, it's uh, we just have to do it so yes um, and we did and uh, everybody's happy so but we're gonna do to we're gonna uh, as I said do the round robin thing which we mm. were kind of doing anyway mm. uh, um, especially since the collapse of the roof. Yes, uh, um, and to be clear, I mean the chat is indicating that this is this isn't due to COVID, right? This is due to the initial circumstances, the no, roof this collapse. Was, uh, um, wait, a year before COVID even hit. Yeah, we were in a community uh, center that had a very large uh, auditorium, and uh, that winter we had over fourteen feet of linear snow, where they had a partial roof collapse. Mm. And the building was almost 60 years old, and the city looked at, can we, re- the insurance company is willing to repair it with the insurance, or, you know, what are they throwing money after because uh, the other parts of the building were so getting dilapidated that that they 
just decided to take the insurance money, which was about $10 million. Hmm. So they're keeping that, and um, they're hoping that uh, once COVID sort of, you know, the government gets a handle or back into sort of kind of normal phase, uh, that the government will help out the city by uh, providing some funds in order to build a new community center. Well, let's talk about the new normal, because you're talking about people basically visiting each other through this, and you're in completely different circumstances than we are in California currently. Oh, can yes. You, can, you, <laughs> can you talk a little bit about the cohabiting, going to people? I mean, I have seen photos of people, you know, wearing masks and social distancing and operating on other folks' layouts, but can you describe what that means in your part of the world? Well, where we are, we haven't had any new COVID, uh, and we only had three in our, I'll call it a region, or which would be a lot similar to a county. We've only had three, and they were all from travel in the first place, and they self-isolated. So we haven't had any new COVID uh, activity in our area for since March, hmm. and and not to slam politics politics and stuff but um here they they did do the shutdown and they were very strict and masks are have to be worn everybody up here is following that to the nth degree and what the our province which is what similar to a state did was they opened up different areas depending on the activity of covid so um, and they did it in different stages. So we're at one of the highest stages, um, as far as being open. You still have to wear a mask. You can't, you can't just go anywhere without a mask and stuff. But, uh, restaurants and, you know, stores, now there's still a limit of how many people in a store, et cetera. And we're allowed to have up to, I believe it is a 25 person gathering. So um, now most of the guys, uh, some of the guys who are up in age, uh, they wear their masks when we have a meeting. And then there are some guys that don't. And most, for the most part, our meetings uh, over the summer have been outside. So we've been, had no problem. We've been on a deck or we've been in uh, sort of on the, on a guy's driveway in his garage. And uh, we've been um, dealing it with it that way. But as the fall comes and, you know, it gets a little cooler, especially up here. Uh, you know, once winter comes, we can get 40 below. Mm. And um, so you, you know, you need to be inside, obviously. So we're going to uh, see how things go. Um, but we're very lucky in Canada in general. that uh, We don't have the numbers that, uh, unfortunately, some of the areas in the United States do or other countries. So yes. um, we're... And they're very strict. Like they, um, it's going to be interesting. Our schools are kind of opening and they're going to see what's going to happen. But they said, you know, if any spikes or anything, that'll be it. They'll lock them down and then it'll be back to, uh, to, uh, learning online. So we'll see what happens in the next month. And of course, you know, the flu season's always around the corner. So, uh, as far as COVID goes, so we'll have to see. But, um, as far as the model railroading, we're just being very cautious and, and trying to, uh, um, do what we can. I know we have a few guys that this is their whole social activity. Mm. They, they expressed, uh, se- several of them expressed that, you know, they found it hard to be 
isolated from from some of us and some guys you know had questions and couldn't get stuff to run and they were like oh you know can maybe one of you come over and at least help me and so but that's possible now and we've been as i said with no cases in our whole area for almost what nine months now um it's getting pretty safe you know in our in our immediate Mm. area Mm. interesting interesting yes it's so different here we are however on tuesday going to the dentist and that is good i had my hair cut a couple of weeks ago i haven't had my hair cut for maybe five months uh it's very interesting i saw a co-worker i delivered some stuff to a co-worker maybe i don't know eight weeks ago now so i mean this whole thing is very different for us here in california and i know in southern california they've opened it up more here i think every school is still doing distance they've tried they're talking about special needs kids needing to have more socialization but even that i don't think is is moving so california is you know still an epicenter yeah, for all the wrong reasons. But yes, I think this is probably going to be the new normal for some, quite some time. And certainly professionally, uh, it's the new normal for quite some time. Yeah. And we're just... Now, the other, thing, the other sidebar to all this, though, I talked to uh, my friend Bob Scott, as you know, who owns Credit Valley, mm-hmm. really, and Tim Wares, and mm-hmm. uh, oh. I was talking to, <laughs> talking to a couple other guys. Yes were in the railroad business and they cannot make enough stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, the like Bob was saying, you know, um, right now, at least here in Canada, you cannot buy a stick of track. Yep. Because everybody has has uh, outstripped the the demand has outstripped the uh yes. supply. And it's just been crazy and uh, I know uh Tim was saying that the wood sales, you know, with, with guys scratch building buildings because they've got the time and they're not going anywhere and, the, mm-hmm. you know, there's no vacation per se, that uh, he says, like, they're just pumping it out like crazy. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's uh, it's been a boon <laughs> to some of the model railroad manufacturers and the stores. And, uh, and I can see that, uh, um, you know, people are... I know as well in our area, um, uh, boats, uh, <laughs> boats and, yes. and trailers and travel and tent trailers. You couldn't buy one here. Yeah. You know, yes. so, uh, it's, it's, it is, it's going to be a little different on, and we're, I think most people are starting to accept. I know up here, the mass situation is just accepted. It's just, mm. it's not a, you'll see people, you know, walking from their car to the store and go, oh, yeah, believe me. <laughs> and yeah. Walk, and walk back to the car because they forgot their mask. You yes. Know? It's, uh, it's just so natural now. And, and people are actually following the, the arrows at, uh, at the grocery store now because they, they're getting used to it. So yeah, it's, it's just going to be the, and I hate to say it because it's becoming a, cliche. Yeah, it's the new norm. But, um, and as, but as far as my railroading, I think what Gordy has been doing as far mm-hmm. as the, uh, uh, clinics on, on video and, and there's a lot more other people. It's not just Gordy. I mean, Certainly. look at the explosion of, of videos. Now, I'll be honest. I, some I go, why would you teach that? Yeah. Um, 
bit of a high horse, but there are some guys that should not be teaching monorail because <laughs> they're. I think they're leading people down a path that is not sustainable in some yes. cases. We've we've had yeah. this discussion periodically, Clark Finney. I know where you stand on this thing. I yeah. think the only caveat I'll say to that is I'm thoroughly enjoying seeing people's workbenches. I think that <laughs> that is mainly because it's it's reminding me of I mean, I have a, a long history, a romantic connection with many elderly gentlemen who are no longer with us in my past who had very detailed workbenches. And to see thematically some of those elements coming through in video form for me is is a misty eyed thing. But like I did want to have the opportunity to finish a conversation with Mike O'Dorney. You called in at the end of the show, but I did want to have that last few minutes to chat with Mike. It's a pleasure catching up. Stay safe. It sounds like you're staying incredibly safe. Um, and enjoy the winter months and the hobby. It'll be a pleasure chatting with you in the future. Take care. Thank you, Tom. I wanted to conclude this recording with the promise of talking a little bit more about Markler, because this yeah. is something that is new. It's not necessarily totally new to me, but it's something that I've put away. It's a bit like um, I occasionally put food items, various things away. Uh, squirreling might be the wrong term, but just for a time when these things are going to be relevant. The Markland section yes. of my podcasting room is something that I've kind of put away very carefully with the view that when it comes out, it will come out in full force. In terms of the module community with Markland, do I need to get a uh, transformer? Or I mean, I'm, I'm really not up to speed with what Markland looks like associated with the module community. Can you describe that? Okay, well, first of all, um, you have a group called the European Train Enthusiasts, mm. which is the local group, for the uh, uh, national group of European Train Enthusiasts. Um, the San Francisco group is one of the earlier groups. We've set some standards for modules. Since we set our standards um, about... Six or seven other groups around the country have also made modules that don't quite interface with ours. They're good modules, just that they picked a different standard. And uh, um, so, um, so basically, we have a um, our modules are pretty much designed to be roundy roundies at a public mm -hmm. venue. In other words, set up in a museum for three weeks. Um, the museum gives us ten thousand bucks. So our dues are 20 bucks a year, um, things like that. Mm. Now, um, a few of us have gone towards doing operating. Now, mm. the beauty of operating, and one of the reasons why I got into European trains was I said to myself, I am too old for N-scale because I can't see the car numbers. But if you think of European cars, they're smaller. So they're like N-scale cars yes. with HO stability. Amen. And Maryland itself is incredibly reliable. Mm. I mean, this stuff works. So my interest was to build a small layout at home in a 13-foot square room using European um, prototypes just because the cars were smaller. Mm. So when I stopped in to see the club with the modules, I said, I really like these modules because you can have a much bigger layout with modules than you could just in one room. Mm. And uh, like 
all summer long, you can set your modules up in your driveway or your patio and just cover them up with a tarp at night. Certainly. And uh, um, even in the winter, you can you get time periods where you don't have a lot of rain, and you can kind of be you know be set up for a weekend. So basically, they are set up with um, they're two feet by five feet. That's a standard module. And like anybody who does modules, practically everybody does two modules because you're really you know to get enough useful space you need two modules so a lot of the members have two or three modules now um um typically a module will have two main lines and they the 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 club setup is automated so when you put your club mod when you put the club together in a museum the trains run themselves because when you're dealing with the public you can't really watch the public and the trains at the same time Mm -hmm. and uh the automation helps a lot. So um, the uh, European train enthusiasts have a website, and if you go to the San Francisco Bay chapter and click on the module specs, you will see a pretty decent set of specs that are somewhat up to date. There's a few a few quirks, and there's not a lot on the site about wiring, you know, electrical. So um, um, you can copy those specs and build a module that will work with the club now. Mm. Uh, like a lot of these modules that were designed 40 years ago, you know, they use three quarter inch plywood. They weigh <laughs> 60 to 80 pounds yes. and you don't need, you don't need to make them that heavy. Um, so, uh, um, what's the plane that was made out of steel? Um, the, uh, um, X-15. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, uh, you don't have to build like an X-15. You can build it like a glider. So, uh, I've adopted a more, more of the space frame, construction like the sipping and switching society Mm -hmm. i use that that modular grid system so that's how i do it now um i've always liked european prototypes because i like industries and when you have little cars in in north america little cars means logging and mining and that's about it Mm. so uh um but in europe everything's little Mm. and everything's like 30 feet or 30 feet so uh so uh so anyway uh now to run them um, they do use their own version of DCC. Uh, you, you can you can run them on AC. They are they are AC. They're three rail like Lionel. They use the same transformer as a Lionel. You can run your trains with AC. So uh, if you if you collect a bunch of old American locomotives, you can just run them on AC and have a fun have have a field day. You know you can hmm. um, you know do kind of a block control where you have a lot of switches to shut off blocks, and uh, um, and then you can. Um, you can, uh, um, you know, stop one train and run the other, and and you do have an overhead catenary, so that's like a second block. Mm. So uh, you can run things on the catenary, and um, that's totally independent from the rails. And uh, and the club tends to when they when they set up at a museum, you have two main lines, and you can run either main line um, AC or AC with DCC, in other words, Merklin, where you can run in DC, like traditional North American DC, mm. a traditional, you know, dig- digit tracks type North American DCC. So when you volunteer to work, you know, a museum, you and another guy get together and say, hey, what do you want to do? And one guy says, I want to run my DC stuff. And he said, okay, um, you know, you can have the outside track and I'll take AC and do the inside track. The advantage of that is is that typically 
when you want to get back into the yard and you're running the DC on the outside, you got to push the train by hand, you know, just mm. to get it off the layout. But I mean, that's something you got to do once every three hours. So, but I mean, you, you tend to, it's, it's all about the people. I, I <laughs> operate with people. I operate with people that are fun. I don't really care what they run because the train's a train. It's pretty. Mm. And, uh, so I, I operate with a guy who is an Italian gentleman who's a, a immigrant from Brazil. He owns mm. a company that runs vending machines and he's just a fun guy. And, uh, when it comes to lunchtime, <laughs> I say, listen, I'm Irish. You're Italian. You get the lunch. You get the wine. Here's 40 bucks. Because <laughs> we're, we're in a, we're in a museum that's next to a Lunardi's, which is a high-end oh, yeah. store. And oh, my goodness. And if you're listening to this in other parts of the country, Lunardi's is kind of like um, um, S.S. Pierce in Boston or S.S. Pierce in Boston. And uh, Or if you're in Kansas City for the National two years ago, if you remember that grocery store that was right on, right on Main Street, you could hop on the light rail and get off in three stops. There was a grocery store built kind of half underground. Mm. And uh, like a daylight basement, it's it's an upscale grocery store. So I said, you know, and they have they have wines, they have sandwiches, they have dinners. I said, I'll eat what you get, and you pick the wine that goes with it, and it'll come back with a really nice, you know, cabernet or really mm-hmm. nice merlot and two really great sandwiches. And, oh my and, goodness! You know, we make we have so uh, we, uh, we we do not have that. We do not have rule G in European club, and uh, so um, so anyway, the um. um you can, on your own home layout, your Maricland stuff will run on straight, you know, plain Jane AC with a little transformer. Mm. And you can make you can make yourself a little bitty control panel that will shut off sections of the layout so you can run a train and park a train and, and do all that. Or you can you can get a basic Maricland DCC setup. And like any basic, basic system, you're talking a couple hundred dollars and they appear on... Uh, they appear on um, eBay and stuff like that. Certainly. Um, certainly the club just had an auction and somebody put up a basic Maryland DCC set up, you know, all of the three pieces to make it work for, yeah, it went for like 150 bucks, 200 bucks, something like that. Mm. So, uh, but if I, if I see one again, I'll grab it for you. So, uh, well, I need to actually take, I need to have a look at these locomotives. They were purchased last year. And the previous owner might have installed stuff in it. I need to probably uh, go through it with a fine tooth comb. No doubt, lots of photographs through Facebook make it. Do I need to, uh, to uh, yeah, offer what could potentially be in there? But the image of a Lenardi sandwich, I think, is a good way to conclude this particular recording of Model Rail Radio. We will be in touch, Michael Dorney. If nothing more, I'm going to send you a substantial number of magazines Tuesday morning. So. Uh, you should have something to well, read, at least in the near future. I would rather have you not send the magazines, not spend the money, and meet me like someplace like Lunardi's for a sandwich and a bottle of wine. <laughs> well, unfortunately, unfortunately, um, there are a series of factors that are... The, the reason that... Uh, it's not that much money, for a start, for the... Um, right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately... Work conspires against me currently. So okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. unable to travel as as well as i might my wife is going to las vegas uh in a couple of weeks time um and i should probably consider well we'll need to just play it by uh but as it is currently um, a box of magazines sent priority mail is, is the the introduction to this thing and hopefully somewhere in the 
the foreseeable future, there will be a, an equidistant meeting somewhere, um, maybe yeah. in the Lonardi's car park. Uh, but yes. Well, and by, by then I may have a more substantial module so you can actually see one work. That would be wonderful. And, uh, that would be wonderful. Maybe plywood Pacific, but it'll still work. So, yeah, but, we, um, we did travel the bay recently. And I think certainly getting up to your part of the world, um, we just have needs to escape periodically. So if, oh, if you, okay. yeah. if you can get the, uh, Facebook messenger client working again, as I have a backlog of messages to you, um, that might be a oh, good you start. Do. Okay. I will. Oh, ironically also, uh, there was a, uh, there was a fake Mike O'Dorney, um, that presented themselves was. to yes. on, me on Facebook recently. Unlike the, uh, what's the fellow's name? Joe. Uh, the Joe fellow on the East Coast that's friends with uh, <laughs> Ralph de Blasi. The, the fake Joe was actually really cordial and uh, very good chatting up until the point that he wanted to sell me something. Um, but yes, it was okay. one of these surreal situations. My wife has had similar with one of the members of the quilting group. Once the account is hacked, um, occasionally the hackers are actually more friendly than the real people. But the fake Mike O'Dorney... Yeah was not as friendly as the real Mike O'Donnell. So. I, I, I did find that, and I instantly changed my password. I mean, I, I, I took the very first warning. I said, you didn't make this up. This is for real. And uh, so uh, I think that uh, I think that's what I had was something that, although it was a well, it was word, That was actually a different Mike O'Donnell. It wasn't you. It was someone oh, okay. claiming. I, I had a fake Mike O'Donnell. I've, I've since blocked the, the person. I thought because we had such an extended chat, which you hadn't responded to or even looked at, I thought maybe you'd been locked out and created a new account. But the early conversations, oh, no. particularly talking about Markland with the fake Mike O'Donny, identified very clearly that it was the fake Mike O'Donny. So anyway. Yeah, I mean, like if some, you, you got to be a nerd like us that if you're talking to me about Maryland and I don't know something, I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm going to say, well, I don't really know. Because like you said, you got a box of stuff and, um, do these locomotives have their original boxes? Do you know? Oh yeah, no, that's they, they oh, arrived with me with the original boxes. So. Yeah, okay. Um, they may have been converted. They most likely haven't. But I mean, I'll take photos. I'll I'll give you the. We'll work it out. We don't need to yeah. okay. keep the entire listenership of Model Rail Radio on the hook associated with this thing, Michael. Doing. We'll work it out offline. We'll come back together. Hey, good. Yeah, good talking to you. It's been great. So, most uh, definitely. Uh, have a wonderful evening. Looking forward to hearing from you, seeing you. Have your wife enjoy Vegas with the quilting. And uh, <laughs> um, I'll talk to you we'll, soon, we'll Mike Donny. Take care. Talk to you then. Bye bye. These things never disappoint. These model rail radios. Always a great opportunity to catch up with people. Mike Donny, like I said. Although he and I talk frequently on this podcast, when we can't talk for a period of time, there's a, a backlog of things to discuss. Also, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Dave Karkowski sending me back to walking through Lansing, Michigan, 2012. It's these memories that keep me going. So, wonderful to catch up with Dave Karkowski, obviously. Clark Cooning, John, and all the possibilities of video in the Bay Area. And, of course, Uncle Larry. We can't go too far without Uncle Larry. Thanks to the folks for participating this evening. Thanks to the folks for listening in. Good evening. I feel like I should have to clap now. Uh, most people occasionally say good evening, but this whole thing, COVID brains, okay. etc., doesn't matter. Well, good evening, gentlemen. I, uh, I, I tend to mute for the final wrap-up, that's why. 
Anyway, that's what I was doing. But it, when it, after it was done, I felt like I should have been clapping. No, such good a evening. Nice good send-off. evening is just the oh, standard. Yes. And sometimes people say comical stuff, but yeah, <laughs> it works out. It works out. Anyway, have great evenings, gentlemen. I'll talk to you both soon. Thank Take you. care.